Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. Is this moment a crypto inflection point? We'll discuss whether the banking crisis is an opportunity for a crypto breakthrough or a rosy start to a very difficult chapter. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington. Today, I'm joined by Dan Roberts from Decrypt and David Nage from Arca. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Plenty to discuss indeed. It's one of those days where to begin. Let's first take a look at price analysis. Boy, what a response from crypto to this banking turmoil. We're seeing a huge rally. The total crypto market cap is up 11% on CoinGecko to $1.18 trillion. We have just received important macro news, of course, which could partially explain this rally. I don't know if we think about it. We'll talk about that in a second. The consumer price index rose 6% in February compared to a year earlier. That's the slowest pace of inflation growth since September 2021. Still, the slowdown has been modest. I'm just going to read out of this table here. If you look at uh, X Food and Energy, this is core CPI, month over month, prior month, 0.4% increase. Consensus this month, 0.4 increase. Consensus range, 0.3 to 0.5. We came in actual 0.5, half a percentage point up month over month on core. That's above consensus, above consensus range, and above prior. Uh, I'm not sure what we're celebrating here. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Let's look at cryptocurrency prices. Bitcoin is up a staggering 18% over the past 24 hours. It has skyrocketed above 26,000 for the first time since June of last year. That's around the time that Terra Luna collapsed. Meanwhile, Ether has gone up some 10% since this time yesterday. It's trading at more than $1,750 right now. That's the highest level for ETH since August of 2022. Okay, viewers, please join us in the conversation. We'll put down your questions in the chat wherever you're watching. We'll ask the best ones on air later in the show. Remember, Real Vision members take priority, but the good news is Real Vision membership for crypto is free. With that said, let's bring in our guest. Dan Roberts is the editor-in-chief of crypto news outlet Decrypt, and David Nage is a portfolio manager specializing in venture capital at ARCA, the digital assets investment company. David, uh, let's start this with you. Thoughts on this extraordinary market rally. What are we celebrating here, man? Celebrations or... And I think we may have lost David. David, you're back. Try it one more time. I think you froze up. I would say that it's... I don't know if we're celebrating or we're seeing the first real... Uh, kind of thoughts that we've had about digital assets, about Bitcoin come to fruition. Meaning that 
what we've seen over the last 72 to 96 hours, we've seen three banks um, over the course of the last few days uh, be closed. Obviously, 100% of those deposits uh, being insured by SVB and by Signature Bank. But we have seen the closure of banks. We've seen Americans especially understand the difference between insured and uninsured deposits. We've seen that there is a stark differential between having assets at a bank or having bearer assets like Bitcoin. And so I think we're coming to a point in the market of Bitcoin, of digital assets, of the entire ecosystem, where people are understanding that this is no longer just a speculative asset, that this is an asset that you can have in your portfolio to potentially safeguard from these types of events. You know, if you look back to the days of the Greek crisis, the Greek financial crisis um, about a decade ago, you started to see the effects of hyperinflation and you started to see the effects of bank closures. You started to see bank runs. You started to see lines uh, of Greeks looking to try to get their monies out of those banks. And so we started to see that, you know, can, you know candidly this weekend um, at certain banks uh, along uh, the coast of the United States. And so for possibly the first time, we have seen the American citizenship wake up to the fact that their assets are no longer you know, as we say, the difference between insured versus uninsured. And that, you know, in all sense, and we wrote about the, this weekend, that the assets in banks are not really assets, they're liabilities. The banks actually have to use those assets. They use them to lend, they use them to uh, buy um, treasuries. Uh, and they did a lot of that activity over the last few years when uh, the RFR, the risk rate rate was 1.5%. And of course, now because of quantitative tightening, uh, we're at four and a half, four point seven five, and so the assets that they have bought with our deposits are now, you know, mark to mark. If you look at that, mark to mark, they're actually uh, at a loss. And so these are all things that the American public doesn't really pay attention to. Mom and pop, you know, on Main Street, and that's obviously a commonality that we say. Mom and pop, and you know, Main Street that has a small medium business doesn't necessarily look at a 10K or 10Q of the bank that they're putting their assets into. Uh, that's typically very uh, convoluted and difficult analysis that you know, some of the smartest people in the hedge fund industry do on a day-in-day -day basis, not someone who's running a, a small, medium business. And so now we're in a place where people actually may have to do that. Uh, well, I don't know about small and medium-sized businesses, but if uh, I were Netflix and we're making a $487 million deposit, I'd probably take a look at the Q's and K's. Dan, uh, jump in. Uh, that sounds like a very rosy view from David, yeah. a secular thesis for crypto uh, and the role that it can play in the future of the global economy. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think David kind of makes the uh, very popular pro-crypto rah-rah case right now, which is fair, which is that you watch what happened with these banks and it makes the case for crypto look pretty good. I think that's part of it, but you could also just have the take that, you know, this is risk assets popular again. You know, you look at what just happened and you say, okay, uh, we basically had bailouts. I don't know if we're using that term or not. There's some debate about whether this was a form of a bailout, but you know, it is extremely ironic that crypto would rally on news of government intervention in a banking crisis, right? I mean, what are we doing here? The whole point was it was supposed to be separate from all that stuff. But as we know, in the last few years, uh, crypto prices have been very uh, tied to the mainstream markets. They've been tied to stocks. They've been tied to the Fed and inflation. The idea that it's uh, a hedge and it's totally separate 
uh, has not really been true for a few years now. So, you know, you really saw the rally start on Sunday night when we saw that joint statement from the Federal Reserve, Treasury, and FDIC. And it was like, all right, baby, we're back to the races. I'm going to load up on crypto again. Uh, we know that in the last week, outflows from institutional funds, I think, were like an all-time high or the highest in many years. So the institutions are running for the hills because they get scared. Now they're going to come back and say, okay, risk assets are back on. The other thing I think that needs to be mentioned is that uh, USDC, which is the number two stablecoin by market cap and arguably the most trusted, I'm sure Tether folks wouldn't like to hear that, but it's the one that is viewed as the most buttoned up, uh, had a major crisis over the weekend and, and sank to 87 cents, which I think it's fair to say should shake confidence in the very idea of a stablecoin. But the problem was Circle had 3.3 billion in Silicon Valley Bank. As soon as uh, the Fed statement said, we're going to insure depositors and, and backstop, USDC regained its peg and all the crypto people went, oh, good. Okay, we're back, baby, which again, kind of funny, but uh, that's why this whole uh, past 48 hours shored yeah. up confidence again in crypto. Well, Circle also released a statement saying that they were going to guarantee the peg at one-to-one -one as well uh, prior to the, uh, I can see the skepticism by the look on the tilt of the head, Dan. How can they, right? I mean, to a certain extent, they can't always guarantee it, but sure, that helped. Well, they, were, they said that they were going to restore, restore the convertibility or uh, regain, uh, or resume exchange on, on Monday. Uh, remember, this was, I think, $3.3 billion of some $45 billion uh, in USDC reserves or thereabout. Let's sketch out the major cases here, because to me, uh, the sort of the thesis, uh, it's like this, uh, like a battle royale of the thesis uh, here, because they are in diametric opposition to each other. On the one hand, you have the case that I think, and I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, that I think that David was making, that we begin to see uh, the value in crypto from a philosophical perspective as an off-the-grid store of value uh, as an alternative to the U.S. banking system. This is something uh, that particularly Bitcoiners have been very eloquent about in the past, uh, this notion uh, that Bitcoin can serve as a kind of e-gold, digital gold, uh, something that is not subject to cent global central bank debasement. That's one thesis. Another thesis is that we're in this weird period uh, where it looks like uh, that we're in that 2007, 2008, good news is bad news, bad news is good news, the world is upside down. When you see negative news, the expectation is that there's going to be additional central bank liquidity, or in this case, uh, perhaps the absence of tightening uh, or a pause in tightening. That's one thesis. The other, again, the flip opposite of it. Uh, it's kind of like saying, uh, you know, I'm either going to move because New York is too hot or it's too cold, right? It's like, which which one is it? You know, another thing floated out there uh, that there was this Dan was talking about uh, this idea uh, that you see uh, people moving away from stable coins and into Bitcoin because they view that as a more stable view of value. Uh, I'm not sure yeah. uh, what what about the cre the credibility of that argument. You know, it, it's just one of those weird moments where you hear people arguing two diametrically opposed views uh, to make the same case. Like, wh where do you guys come down on that? First and foremost, I want to make just one clarification. You you mentioned Netflix or Roku, obviously holding assets in SVB. I meant Roku. There were also there were also thousands of early stage startups, not just yeah. Web three crypto startups, but early stage startups that are trying to build our future today. That were hosting, that were holding their assets that they raised at that bank. These are people that we see every single day on the streets. These are people that we see when we drop our kids off to school, when we go on a line at a grocery store to buy groceries. These are people that are building our businesses for our future. And so these were the people that were affected and the actions that were taken to ensure those deposits and ensure further work and payroll that were able to be made this week are critically important, in my opinion, for American innovation 
and also for the future of venture in this country. Extremely important point uh, to make there, David, and I think that's spot on. Go ahead, Dan. Well, I was going to add that uh, there have been a lot of misconceptions over the past few days, right? Uh, yes, it is true that the <clears throat> the run on SVB, I mean, you know, 42 billion in, in withdrawals in a day, you know, that'll do it. Uh, that was heavily influenced by, you know, already rich VCs fomenting panic on Twitter. That said, it isn't true that it's just, you know, VCs and, and already big tech businesses that had their money in there. So I'm glad David said that. I think a lot of people have the misconception that SVB was like only the bank of, uh, existing successful tech companies. And that's just not Correct. true at all. It was very entrepreneurial. There were small business owners mostly. And that's why it is so important that they came in and, and kind of rescued. Again, we can debate yeah. whether it was a bailout, but I'm glad David made that point. I think a lot of people have confusion about just how uh, systemic the risk was. You know, there was a tweet from Jason Calacanis on Saturday in all caps, and it said, Americans are going to be lining up at their banks on Monday to take out all their money. This is going to be terrible. And it's like, Someone responded, and I thought nailed it, and said, no, uh, you are out of touch. 98% of regular folks don't even know this happened. Now, I don't know if 98% was an exaggeration, but I think there were kind of two universes here in terms of the awareness of these three bank failures in the past 12 days. And so okay, let's sort, let's sort through some of these points. Let me make one point real quick. There is an issue that many people are not even paying attention to, and that's the issue of cascading effect. And so you have thousands and thousands of startups that have parked their, their capital at SVB and Signature Bank, and the potentiality of them being locked out or only getting the 250 of insured you know, to, on Monday and you know, getting certificates for you know, the other value to be paid at some later date, whether it's six months or 10 years down the road, yeah. what happens is that those small businesses pay vendors, they pay accountants, they pay for soda distribution, they pay for snacks, they pay for paper, they pay for computers, they pay for yep. services. This eventually has a cascading effect where if those businesses are shuttered or they can't pay payroll or they can't pay for normal operating expenditures, it has a trickle down effect. Yeah, absolutely spot on. You can't pay uh, for cloud services using a receivership statistic as a certificate. But let's talk a little bit uh, about this idea, the, the idea that the, the sort of the mom and pop thesis, it's very hard to have more than $250,000 for most individuals at a bank account. That's a very, in a, in a demand deposit account, that's a very rare and unusual occurrence, 500,000 for couples. Uh, even high net worth individuals have brokerage accounts, they hold money in treasuries. Uh, this is about uh, largely small businesses. I think the Roku story is an interesting one because it's just such a weird one-off that $487 million in cash was being kept uh, at this bank. But there were lots of smaller uh, startups, lots of smaller businesses, medium-sized businesses that were banking with Silicon Valley Bank. One of the things that's come up is this idea of services tying the Wall Street Journal reporting uh, that some folks that they spoke to, that the journal spoke to, uh, asserted that in order to uh, be eligible uh, to, get, to get loans under the terms of their loan agreements with Silicon Valley Bank, that they had to do all of their banking there. Uh, I'm not sure that that's been confirmed yet, but that was uh, the word that came out uh, based on some interviews that the journal had done. Uh, you know, th this, is a, this is an incredibly complex issue. The other point, uh, David, that you alluded to, I think, was the, the fear of capital flight uh, from regional banks more generally to the GSIBs. These are the global systemically important banking institutions. In other words, everyone who had banking relationships with uh, J.P. Morgan uh, or Wells Fargo or Citi wanted to make that transfer 
before they knew uh, that SVB was being backstopped. That would be a very bad thing to see the economy effectively relying entirely on four or five uh, systemically important banks. Uh, I think that was really one of the very big drivers of this from a pol public policy perspective, uh, in addition to, I think, the, the unique risks that a collapse in the tech sector uh, with among small and medium-sized business would have played in the economy. Uh, jump in, David. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. And, you know, getting back to your question about, you know, it seems that there's a little bit of a bifurcation between the idea of a stable coin, obviously with USDC versus, you know, a bearer asset or something the likes of Bitcoin. When you have USDC, that is something that is a digital asset that has been supported by a basket of securities typically to you know maintain a peg. Uh, close to $1. So for those that are not familiar with it, just to give you kind of the mechanics behind that. With USCC, uh, it was using a basket of uh, predominantly short duration US treasuries uh, to back that. And even had uh, folks at BlackRock to, perform, uh, to provide support on that. Uh, so it had, you know, incredibly high level of institutional support there. Um, but to, to Dan's point, you know, why do we celebrate when SVP, um, where Circle had $3.3 billion potentially locked, why do we celebrate that uh, is, again, because the idea of a stable coin is something that is to provide a stable account, a stable usage, uh, not a medium of, you know, of or store of wealth or something that has potential accretion and value. It's something that we can use every day, something that we could potentially use to buy a coffee, something that we could use to pay a mortgage. Uh, these are things, though, this is something that, again, I think a lot of the market is missing, is that we're not there yet. Um, you know, yeah, there have been instances where you can pay for coffee with Bitcoin using some sort of a, uh, a process where you have an exchange that gives you a QR code, you send them Bitcoin, they take the Bitcoin, they give you the QR code to buy coffee at Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's not, you know, just a place where you could say, oh, I have USDC like Apple Pay and pay for coffee or pay for your mortgage that way. And so the uses of digital assets, especially stable coins, have not bubbled up and have not matured to the point where we can go completely uh, through a digital asset to do the, the daily live activities that we have today. We're not there yet. Um, and so I think that's important that a lot of people are missing, well, why can't we just go completely into crypto? Why can't we just use digital assets for everything? It's because the day-to-day -day activities that we have, bill paying, paying for the coffee, paying for child support, you know, paying for schools, things of that nature, not everyone takes you know, digital assets these days. But there are innovations that are starting to allow us to use those, repatriate them into... Yeah. Go, go ahead, Dan. Did you want to pick up on well, that? that it's 100% right to point out that this is not an everyday asset, no matter which coin you choose. You want to do stable coins, you want to do Bitcoin. That's why, of course, it's still frustrating. We have to remember a large portion of the population, especially more conservative traditional investors, they still, after 13 years and change, they point to Bitcoin and they say, well, I can't use it easily to buy my morning cup of coffee, right? So it has failed. And it's like, yeah, but you know, it's really not an everyday currency. No one's trying to make it that. I shouldn't say no one. But, um, you know, that was supposed to be the big promise of stable coins was, wait a minute, yeah. stable coins are going to do what Bitcoin was supposed to do. Um, you know, a few months ago, we interviewed the, the founder of Compound, which is an interesting uh, DeFi platform. And, and he was saying stable coins are going to be what everyone uses. It was the most bullish thing I've ever heard. He said, everyone's going to flock to stable coins because they're fulfilling the promise that Bitcoin ha has failed to deliver on. Well, none of them have done it yet because you just you wouldn't use it for your everyday purchases. But that's OK. But that's still why my issue with the argument that, you know, people are waking up and discovering the store of value proposition again. 
I don't know. Has it really been a store of value when it's this wildly volatile? But the Bitcoin people have to go back to store of value because it's certainly not an everyday currency. I think it's enough that it's a payment rails that is much faster, more frictionless, uh, much cheaper fees. You know, that was one of the original value props of crypto was send money yeah. overseas instantly and more cheaply. But certainly there are a number of different reasons why people are getting back into it in the last few days. And I think the failure of three banks rapid fire in 12 days uh, certainly helps the idea that we need some other form of money here. Excellent point. And I want to move on actually from the macro to talk about what's happening in the banking system. Uh, by the way, I should say Bitcoiners would make the argument that it's probably going to be Lightning Network or another L2 inbound from the Bitcoiners coming to you, Dan, I'm sure as soon as this show is done. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Coindesk has reported an interesting story uh, on general access to banking in the crypto sector. It reported internal messages from its own parent company, Digital Currency Group. According to these messages, DCG has been looking for new banking partners. Here's a list of the banks that are willing to do business with crypto companies, at least according to Coindesk reporting uh, on their own parent company. Santander, HSBC, Deutsche Bank, Bank Prov, Bridge Bank, Mercury, Multis, and Series Financial. I don't know a lot of the names at the bottom of that list, I should say. Coindesk says DCG also contacted other banks, such as BlackRock, JP Morgan, and Bank of America. No word on the response there yet. Uh, David, you manage venture capital investments. Uh, without going into specifics, many of your clients and partners must be going through a similar scramble. So we've been very proactive with our founders since the beginning of the year. Uh, I think we started to see some of the writing on the wall. And so we had a, a session with our founders in January where we implored them to have redundancies. Um, whether you want to call it Operation Choke Point or whatever you want to call it these days, we saw that there was you know, some concerted effort you know, to obviously restrict access to the financial banking system here in the United States. And so we implored them to have redundancy plans and we're really pleased that, you know, as I said, again, they did listen, they did heed. Um, and so redundancy plans for early stage startups, if you're listening, you run a startup within Web3. Um, redundancy plans means that if you have capital in one bank, try to diversify it. Um, it's, it was a very interesting uh, practice over the last 72 to 96 hours to learn about uh, systems in place, um, there is a system called ICS, which basically you work with an affiliate bank and then you have the ability to take capital uh, and move it to several other banks uh, to hit that $250,000 FDIC insurance program. Um, and so they, they, they kind of, the name for it is the sweeps. Um, and so, you know, founders were getting to be aware of that where they could potentially use the sweep accounts uh, and be able to have $250,000 of their capital parked into several different banks. Um, and so I would say we know, uh, because we were talking to a lot of our peers over the last you know, 96 hours, other VCs were also working with their teams. Uh, it was you know, effectively a war room uh, for the last 96 hours. 
And as I said, again, you know, you know, we were, you know, early uh, to a kind of alert our founders. And I think a lot of others were as well, too, that diversification is really key uh, in this time um, and that uh, they needed to be very mindful of that. So, Dan, uh, let me flip this back to you. We're talking here about what's happening in the space of banking. Obviously, I'm sure this is a topic you have uh, some thoughts on, but also regulation more generally, kind of the intersection of those two points. I don't know if you guys read Elizabeth Warren, Senator Elizabeth Warren's uh, op-ed in the New York Times uh, about uh, the Silicon Valley bank crisis. She mentioned the word crypto three times, three times, almost kind of implication being uh, stuff around uh, the risky crypto activities. Let's put it this way. It was not a flattering reference. Well, and, you know, SVB was hardly a crypto bank. Uh, Signature certainly was, and Silvergate certainly was. By the way, quick side note, of course, these three things all had to have very similar names, as if it wasn't confusing enough, right? Silvergate, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature. Um, not just Warren, but basically uh, Barney Frank came out and said that uh, shutting down Signature was something that didn't have to happen, but it was to send an anti-crypto message. I mean, but, how by much the way, more- we should, we should mention he's on the board of directors there. And, and how much more overt and explicit can you get in terms of confirmation that, uh, you know, the people in power do not like this stuff. They see it as a, a high risk, you know, volatile space. Regular innocent folks are going to lose their shirts if they invest in crypto. And so in some ways, I think it validates the people who feel like uh, crypto is being pushed out of the U.S. You know, I had this take two weeks ago after coming back from NFT Paris, and that was before all this happened. Uh, I went to an NFT conference in Paris, and it's like, Brigitte Macron showed up and toured the grounds. And I, you know, sat down, she minted an NFT at a booth. I had the thought that, would you ever see Jill Biden show up at a crypto conference in the US to shake hands and, and check out the booths? I don't think so. Uh, so certainly like, you know, these events, either you think that they prove out the thesis or if you were sunny and optimistic about it and saying, no, 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 everyone's too negative, hard to feel that way anymore, right? After the last few days. But yeah. the problem is the US loves to, uh, be motivated only by the fear of losing out to other countries. I mean, so, you know, that's the case Mark Zuckerberg tried to make years ago, remember, when he was arguing in favor of Libra, then it was DM, then it failed completely. He said, don't crimp innovation in this space or you'll lose out to other countries. It seems to me that's already happening, that companies are moving over to Europe, you know, they're doing more in other countries because in the U.S., they're going to be forced to take years and years to actually launch what they want to launch. And in some ways, I don't know where these companies go. That's interesting about Santander and that DCG list. But, you know, you've just lost the two most prominent officially crypto-friendly banks. But can we just be blunt about this and talk about the politics here? It's very clear uh, that one party in the United States seems to be favoring crypto. Well, one is intensely, uh, increasingly, I should say, intensely opposed to it. I mean, th this, is not, uh, this is not a statistical aberration. Well, it's interesting because this wasn't a partisan issue for years, right? In fact, right. there were right. people on both sides of the aisle. There were some young progressive Dems who were in favor of crypto. That's still the case. Um, you know, you have the Andrew Yang types. But for the most part, I agree with you, Ash. It's starting to become uh, a party issue. And it's because the folks who are most vocally, virulently anti-crypto are the long entrenched, older in age, sorry, uh, powerful Dems that, that are in charge of things. So but your I, I don't know exactly why that is. But used to be the case. There was a split in both parties between sort of the younger, uh, more uh, technical savvy wing and uh, and the sort of older institutionalist wing. And now that distinction seems to be dissolving strictly along party lines, it being 2023 and all. If I can just David? make a quick point to uh, add on to this. Um, 
rough analysis, there's been about 3,000 startups, seed stage startups uh, that have been funded uh, since around 2019 uh, in crypto, Web3, blockchain, whichever name you want to call it right now. If you look at the averages, uh, they typically hire anywhere between five to 10 employees. So if you take a look, you, you roughly estimate you could have about 30,000, give or take employees here in the United States uh, that are working within the industry. Um, the average, if you look at ZipRecruiter, the average uh, rate of, of wages is typically anywhere between 85 dollars to $140,000. So you take 100000 as your average there. Um, that is a significant amount of money that is taxable wages. Um, and then if you look at a 25% tax rate, you're typically, you know, based off of that math, you're, you're basically trying to dissuade about $750 million of taxable wages, potentially. Uh, just very raw, basic, you know, math. Um, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, that should be considered too, is that, you know, this is an industry. There are thousands and thousands of people within this country that are working legally, earning wages, paying taxes. And again, do we want that tax base to go offshores? And this is something that we've talked about as a country for decades. Um, you know, where do we want innovation to happen? Do we want it to happen here or do we want it to happen overseas? And this is again, coming up as a debate. Yeah, I just say nothing of the 20 odd uh, or so percent, depending on the polling data that you read uh, of Americans who currently own crypto. Dan, I know you've got to jump, but before you do, I wanted to just talk about this story because I first read it on your website, Decrypt. Uh, Meta, the parent company of Facebook, has announced it will no longer support NFTs on Instagram. The company did not reveal any reason for the move. Uh, this comes, of course, as Meta has announced a further 10,000 job cuts. Uh, Dan, does this sound like a significant blow to the NFT space uh, or is this uh, something else? Uh, it is not a significant blow to the NFT space. I think it's more a meta-specific story, but you do have to uh, roll your eyes a little bit because I think many of us were skeptical that the company was ever really all in on NFTs. Um, you know, we know that the, the Libra thing happened mostly because Facebook loves the idea of having its own uh, digital currency because, you know, with 2 billion, however many users, they would have a built-in uh, adoption base right away. Some people have the, uh, I don't want to say conspiracy theory because there's, there's probably a lot of truth here, but the idea that this was always just an experiment to try and bypass the Apple App Store. And when it didn't work out and when Apple got more aggressive, they said, okay, never mind, never mind, never mind. Also, you know, there was a Polygon partnership that I think was probably more beneficial to Polygon than it ever was to Instagram. Polygon is uh, racked up partnerships for NFTs recently with Reddit and a number of other places. Um, but Meta has to basically throw good money after bad now, now that it changed its name to Meta, right? So it said, we're still supporting creators in other ways, and we're going to focus on the metaverse. The irony of saying we're backing away from NFTs, but we're going to focus on the metaverse is in many ways, NFTs are very related to the concept of the new metaverse. It's simply in-game items, in-game currency, in-world items. So you know, there's some contradictory statements here from this company, but I don't think anyone sees uh, Meta as in any way a crypto company anyway. Yeah, Polygon and also Flo. Dan, I know you've got to jump. Any final thoughts before you head out? Thank you. Yes. Uh, the one thing I'd say is it remains to be seen, even though it's off to the races right now, markets up, hooray, the coins are in the green. It remains to be seen over the next week or two whether the events of the last week will actually be good or bad. Because even though prices are up right now and people say this is good for crypto, it's also, remember, not good for a lot of companies that you've <clears> shut down <throat> these banks. I mean, there's still crypto companies that were using these banks for their services. You know, Dapper Labs had to shut down uh, withdrawals via ACH because its payment partner was Circle and Circle's payment partner was um, Silvergate. 
And you know, there are a number of companies that are going to be delayed on payroll. We might see more layoffs. So the point is, it's still the jury's out on whether things are now hooray, bullish for crypto in the next week, two weeks, two months. And there are a lot of factors that will affect it. I don't know that the, um, that the smoke is fully cleared at all. I think, sorry, I think we had, pardon, I think we had a bit of an audio problem there. Hey, Dan, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Uh, David, to Dan's point, uh, this open question mark about whether this has been a good or bad week, uh, it seems difficult to believe uh, that, you know, uh, the, the, the banks uh, banking crypto, leaving the banking, uh, leaving the banking ecosystem and obviously therefore leaving crypto as a consequence uh, is a good week. How do you think about where we stand today versus where we were, say, seven or 10 days ago? I think I wrote about this a few months ago uh, to our investors, and I think I've said this publicly before. We have done a very good job to try to get those that are not comfortable with crypto comfortable, meaning that if you are not comfortable with self-custody, with having a ledger or a treasure, having things in cold storage, fine. Use a centralized exchange. Uh, which has no real innovation involved with it. Um, it's nothing better than what we see today in any of the neobanks or kind of the SoFi's of the world. Um, so fine, Mr. Institutional Investor, Mrs. Institutional Investor, you're not comfortable with crypto, use this. And I think what we're seeing again right now is, you know, we really need to look at the innovation. We all need to, as an industry, need to look at the innovation that we currently have available today and say, can we actually be self-sustaining without necessarily having all of these plugins to the traditional banking system? You know, for instance, payroll. We talked a little bit about payroll. There are new startups right now that are offering the ability for those that are in the Web3 digital asset ecosystem to pay their employees in a digital asset, whether that's Bitcoin, whether that's USDC, whether that's ETH, whatever it may be. This is really important. We didn't have this a few months ago. We didn't have this a year ago. Um, and is it now possible to pay your employees in a crypto and then have them uh, obviously go and then try to repatriate that to a usable uh, local fiat currency? That is more possible today than it was before. However, it's the on and off ramps, as you alluded to, Ash, that right. we need to continue to bolster um, and we need to continue to work on. I, I, I cannot see a world where if you, you know, look at the FX markets, the traditional FX markets, all throughout the world, you always have situations. You go to a go to an airport. Next time you fly, there's always a currency desk there that will offer you the ability to repay, repatriate your currency into the local fiat currency of that country that you're visiting. This is normal, and so I can I see that this is going to be a continuum. Um, I do think that the infrastructure to support actual uses of digital assets beyond just as we've looked at, you know, per se the store of wealth. Uh, or the medium of exchange will continue on. I think that medium of exchange side of the equation, though, will continue to grow over the course of the next few weeks and months here as we have become more enlightened to the situations at hand. And but David, I do is, think it really, is it really desirable 
to be paid uh, in crypto for most people living here, uh, either in the United States or in the developed world more generally. Uh, I mean, you know, for most of us, we don't pay our rent. Uh, we don't pay our mortgage. We don't pay our food bills uh, in, in USDC. We certainly don't pay them in Bitcoin or ETH. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, there's a conversion factor. Over the weekend when you were getting 80 some odd cents on the dollar, 85, 87 on USDC, whatever the bid was at the moment, uh, yeah. I think there are probably a lot of people that were tremendously relieved that they weren't being paid in crypto in that at that point. So in terms of a medium of exchange, look, I like gold too, uh, but I don't want Real Vision to pay me in gold because my landlord doesn't accept gold as payment for rent. Right. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a fair point. Uh, obviously, we, we've spent a lot of time myopically looking at the United States, but there are countries around the world that have dealt with hyperinflation where their local fiat currency is as good as the stuff that they you know wipe their behind with. Um, and so for those, that does that is meaningful. Um, and you know, I think they're, you know, as I said, again, we've been very myopically focused here in the United States. So yes, you, you bring up a point, I brought it up earlier, is that the use cases of being able to use digital assets here in the United States for everyday purposes, paying rent, paying mortgages, paying for your, your kid's school, buying groceries. These are all things that have been not necessarily innovated as well as they could have. You've had companies like BitPay around for years. You've had companies like Wire that have been around for years. Um, and so... <laughs> I would be surprised. I think most people would be surprised. You know, two years ago, if you went to BitPay's website, you could have actually paid your AT&T bill via BitPay. Um, but there's a conversion. But you, have, but you still have to flip it, and you still have to. Yeah, get there's it. a conversion. Exactly. Pay, right? Exactly. And so, where there's gaps, there's innovators, and where there are innovators, there's going to be new technology build out. And so, this is the scope of, of innovation and need. Um, I always you know, look back to Nick Grossman at USV. He had a chart a few years ago where he shows you know how certain technology companies and certain things like Internet 2.0 came about um, where you had Uber, you had you know Airbnb, you had all these different companies, and then you had a little bit of a retraction because the infrastructure wasn't there to support it. Again, I think we're at that place right now where the infrastructure needs to continue to be built out to support right. these use cases where people can actually use digital assets in their real-world life. Yeah, I mean, this is really interesting, and I think you make an important point here, David, about the, the need for future development. Uh, as someone who thinks about venture capital investing, uh, this is a, a sort of a key framework for understanding the world, thinking about where we are today, where we need to get to in the future, uh, but just about the current time, where we are right now. Uh, the yeah. reality is that the traditional banking system, the U.S. dollar on-ramps and off-ramps for those living in the United States uh, who want to invest in crypto are absolutely critical uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, custodying uh, the underlying assets for stable coins being one of them, and then obviously the ability to facilitate the exchange uh, and the purchase of digital assets from fiat currency. When we lose uh, two banks that were focused uh, in large measure, uh, or at least had significant practices, in the case of Silvergate, uh, a core focus on the digital asset space, and we lose them from the banking e ecosystem, it's hard to see that it's been a net positive for crypto as a consequence. Indeed, it would be very difficult to argue anything other than it's been a significant net negative for the space. Short duration, you know, a shorter period of time, sure. Um, when we had Lehman, when we had Bear, we had, when we had the financial crisis, when you had a complete lack of trust in your your brokerage accounts, uh, you saw the rise of, of of neobanks. You saw the rise of robo advising. You saw the the rise of things you know that are out there right now, like SoFi. 
Um, and so, you know, yes, short duration, you know, as I said, short time period, you know, this is something that will need to be figured out. I don't have solutions for you today. Um, you know, obviously, as you alluded to, yes, correct, you know, Signature and Silvergate, um, you know, were, you know, important uh, in the institutional framework of digital assets and the on and off ramps. Uh, but I know that there are solutions that can come about. Um, and as you saw, as we alluded to, again, you know, whereas people are, are you know, effectively, quote unquote, kind of trapped, uh, they've gone to Bitcoin because Bitcoin is 24-7. It's liquid. It could be moved in and out. Um, and that's why people are going right. to it as a bearer asset. But yes, you know, as I said, short time period, next three to six months, you're absolutely right. Um, but I do not have any fear that the innovators out there, the founders out there are not going to be able to find ways to be able to build infrastructure to support the needs that we have. Hey, everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. David, we've got lots of questions coming for our viewers. Not surprisingly, obviously, uh, an interesting day here uh, and an interesting several days. Uh, let's go to one of them. Chuck on the Real Vision website actually uh, is referencing kind of the intersection between the infrastructure that we're talking about here uh, and price. And the question is, with Silvergate and Signature on ramps offline, where is the crypto demand coming from? Um, you saw, you know, a significant push uh, to uh, get out of the system uh, a few days ago. Um, and getting out of the system, you, you would have, you know, as it was founders, it was investors, uh, it was, you know, the startups in the world. Um, where do you go? They start to determine if they were affected by uh, SVB or, you know, Signature or Silvergate. Where do you go? Um, and so you have to make determinations. You need to look at your different opportunity sets. Um, and so I think, you know, you started to see that there were some, especially, you know, those that were holding USDC, they were mm. looking at Tether as an option. Um, if they were not looking at Tether, they opted to go to Bitcoin or to ETH. Um, and so, again, you had uh, this kind of trap uh, where you started to make, you know, effectively decisions on where you were going to go with the capital that you had. Um, and, you know, it, it appears that, you know, those that had this, you know, this issue uh, elected Bitcoin and Ethereum over the last few days. Yeah. Here's a new question coming to us from Benjamin Wagner on the YouTube. Uh, to preserve value over time, would you choose bonds or Bitcoin? <laughs> I'm not permitted to give that kind of investment advice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so okay. uh, that, that would be something that I would suggest you know, to reach out to your financial advisors for. A great, uh, a great uh, d deferral there. But let's talk about something that maybe you can talk about. Uh, let's talk about what's happening in the bond market uh, to try and scratch that itch. Uh, you know, these moves in the two-year are just pretty extraordinary. We're up about yep. 30 basis points today. Uh, I think yesterday, uh, peak to trough, the drop was uh, nearly 100 basis points. Uh, it's truly surreal moves in this market. Yeah, you, you saw, you know, you know, three sigma moves in, in the in the, the treasury markets. 
Um, and again, this, you know, where we are coming from is effectively stemming from the issues that we've had over the last few years. Um, look at, again, you know, going back to Silvergate in relation to the question, Ashes, look at what happened with, um, with SVB and Silvergate and, and Signature. With, with, you know, certain banks, especially uh, the likes of Silvergate, um, they doubled their asset, their deposit base uh, in 2020. Uh, what happened in 2020? There was COVID. What happened in COVID? People were starting to look for new ways of living, you know, at home. Um, and so the rise of Peloton, the rise of Zoom, and other different, you know, companies that we're very familiar with these days, you saw massive floods of capital into new businesses that were supporting work from home. Um, and so with, with that, you saw a doubling in their deposit base. And what happens with that, you know, during that time period of time, they opted, and of course, this is going to be for public uh, debate and for investigation. They opted to, you know, buy treasuries uh, when the risk-free rate was 1.5%. Um, and so what has happened now as rates have passed 2 3 4%, um, and, you know, finally 5%, um, those assets that they purchased are, are obviously now um, mark to market, not worth very much. Um, and so this has been the problem, you know, overall is that, you know, you've had, you know, majority of what's happened here in the United States with, with our fixed income market is that you've had this issue where we had incredibly low rates and then through quantitative tightening and obviously again, you know, up for debate and conjecture over the next five or 10 or 15 years academically, you know, we've had, you know, significant quantitative tightening over the last, you know, two to three years. Um, and a lot of the banks that have been holding these assets are now in duress. So, you know, what happens from here, I can't tell you, you know, obviously, like you, I, I watch the news, I, I listen to, you know, the street, you know, there is debate uh, that, you know, next week, um, the Fed will potentially pause uh, in further right. rates, you know, we were looking at a 50 basis point, and we were looking at 25 basis point. Uh, and now there's more conviction that there's going to be a pause. Um, that pause can be potentially short for, you know, a quarter or two. They could write in, you know, they could potentially put in writing that they're going to just pause right now because of certain market issues that have happened, especially in the banking sector, but they're still, you know, trying to stamp out inflation. A lot of unknowns, um, but, you know, that's kind of where we're coming from right now in terms of investigating, you know, what has happened and what is going to potentially happen in the future with, with bonds. Wow, there sure are a lot of unknowns. Here's a delightfully cynical question that comes to us from Lorenzo from the Real Vision website. Question, does the collapse of regional banks and their subsumption by the globally systemic important banks pave the way for CBDCs? Uh, I, I I don't have a, a crystal ball on that. I've seen that rumor and that conjecture as well, too. Um, I've seen that there's been those that think that, you know, this is uh, an effort to roll out CBDCs, that USDC will be effectively owned by the United States. I, 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 I don't fall into any of those camps. I don't fall into any of that, you know, kind of conjecture or rumor mill. Um, I would say that if, if there was a concerted effort to harm regional banks and depositors in regional banks, that heads would be rolling, that investigations would be ongoing immediately. I doubt that that's the case. Um, I think what's happened here, again, is that you've had massive deposits, especially at some of these banks that we've talked about already, um, you know, especially in light of what happened with COVID. Um, and that they were, you know, effectively, you know, going to the market to try to find securities that they could use that were, you know, fairly risk off. 
Um, and what happened is that, you know, through quantitative tightening, you've had this cycle. Um, I don't think that there is a massive concerted effort to kill regional banks, you know, so we could roll out CBDCs though. Yeah, that seems a, a bit of a bridge too far, considering uh, the direness of the circumstances that we were just in. David, it's always a pleasure to have you with us. I always enjoy these conversations. Final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our audience with. It's a lot to digest. You know, I think, as I said, as someone who is a steward of capital for innovation, you know, I am deeply obligated and always worried about the future of American innovation and global innovation. Um, and one of the things that we try to do here is always support founders who are building our future today. And so, you know, what has happened over the last few days um, and what is happening within our, our country uh, is something that I am deeply motivated to continue to work on. Uh, and I know our, our founders are as well, too. We want to see American innovation here. We want to see job growth here. Um, and we want to see, you know, the United States being the home of digital asset innovation. Uh, you touched on regulation. You talked a little bit about that before. I, again, we deeply, deeply uh, want as an industry to work with those in, in the policy and regulatory bodies to come up with, you know, regulation and policy that is meaningful, that allows the innovation to continue on, very similar to what's happening in the European Parliament with MICA. We want to see that type of work done here uh, to support the innovation and support the, the people that are building and, and starting businesses here in this country. David, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Likewise, Ash. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with David Duong from Coinbase. Also, make sure you check out realvision.com. We have an important two-piece series called How to Unfuck Your Future. It features some of the most visionary thinkers and investors we know. This week, we're exploring all the situations with a lineup of true experts like Angus Shillington, John Campiana, Dwight Anderson, Imad Motosk. Go to realvision.com forward slash UNFK to get free access. Once again, that's realvision.com, UNFK. We'll leave you with a trailer. We'll see you tomorrow at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London time, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. See you then, everybody. Have a good day. If we want to change the outcomes for this really screwed up world, where our wages don't go up, where we're being replaced by technology, where governments are massively in debt and we foot the bill via taxes, where we see debasement of assets so we can't afford as many assets as we like. So the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. If we don't like to see the rise of populism based on this broken society because the promises of the future have been broken, let's make our promises to our future selves come right. And that's by unfucking your future. Some of this is going to really f your future in 20 or 30 years time, but we've got time to figure that out because it's unstoppable. Mm -hmm.